welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jarrett Fuller, and this is a podcast about art and design history. Today on the show, I am joined by the curator and art historian Robert Wiesenberger. I first started following Rob's work a few years ago when he co-wrote with David Reinfurt, one of the uh, very first guests on the show, actually, a really excellent monograph from a few years ago on the great MIT designer and educator Mariel Cooper. Rob is currently the Associate Curator of Contemporary Projects at the Clark Art Institute and teaches art and design history at the Williams Graduate Program of Art History. He previously was a curatorial fellow at the Harvard Art Museums working with their Bauhaus collection. We start this conversation right there, talking about what contemporary projects means and how this role is different than working in the Bauhaus archives. This leads to what I think is a really interesting conversation that covers the differences between curation and writing, the role of the object in art history, and his interests in finding the overlap between art history and design history. This is really one of those great conversations, I think, for those of you who are interested in rethinking how we uh, document, teach, and organize design history. I feel like I learned so much from uh, from this conversation talking to Rob. Don't forget that Scratching the Surface is made possible because of listeners like you. Through 2021, we're releasing new episodes every single week. And so if you enjoy this show and want to help support it, you can become a member for just $5 a month or $50 a year. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter that's written by me, as well as previews of the upcoming episodes. This show, in many, many ways, is made possible because of those memberships and because of that support. And so if you want to contribute, if you want to help keep the show going, you can visit scratchingthesurface.fm slash members to sign up and get all the details. Thank you again for listening and enjoy this conversation with Robert Wiesenberger. I actually kind of just want to start with talking about your job title and kind of what you're doing right now. So at the the Clark Art Institute, your title is the Associate Curator of Contemporary Projects. That is that that right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so can you I guess the question is what are contemporary projects? How do you define uh, you know your purview at the Clark and sure. what it means to be a curator of contemporary projects? Sure, absolutely. Um, it's a newish role um, to have a full-time curator on the staff uh, for mm-hmm. modern and contemporary. And the the term contemporary projects, I think there is a lot of freedom in it, which is what I, I love about it, but it, it enables me to work on um, modern and contemporary uh, uh, art and design. Um, and the project is meant to indicate uh, that we're not acquiring um, mm. contemporary art. So the the Clark the Clark uh, Museum collection focuses on work from old masters to French Impressionism, and there's not really much collecting after, say, the First World War. So mm. um, so I have a lot of freedom in terms of what I bring into house to to show, and it really means that I'm doing exhibitions, I'm doing publications and programs, um, and so that's the kind of uh, broad purview of, of contemporary projects. Oh, see, that's that's interesting, and I hadn't even thought about the the kind of um, acquiring side of it and how that would change the you know your process or even your role. Does that change your your job knowing that you're not acquiring things? That this is just exhibitions, programming. What? How does that change it? Like, what would be different if you were acquiring? How how does that change your your curatorial approach? I guess is the question I'm trying to get to. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it gives me a lot of freedom. Um, the art market is is crazy, and uh, you know, I can only pretend to understand some of the way it functions. Um, and so, I'm I'm sort of glad not to need to to worry about that side of things. Um, I mean, I love I love objects and collections. I love um, working with objects, and whether it's learning from folks in conservation about uh, you know how they're made and and uh, what they're made of, or you know thinking about the the composition of collections. I mean, the last job I worked at, there was this wonderful um, uh, wonderful and idiosyncratic collection. And just thinking about the kind of lumpiness of it, the, the, the nature of how it got built over time and, and who contributed to it and why and the omissions. Uh, and, you know, that, that's all really interesting. But, but having the freedom to, um, to do the kind of shows that I think need doing, um, there is a kind of uh, a 
sense of possibility there. Um, and so the, the, the market is really not um, something I'm, I'm thinking uh, much about. The previous job you're talking about, is that the Harvard Art Museum when you were there? That's right. At, at yeah. The yeah. Yeah. So I, I actually wanted to ask you about that. And I was, I was thinking we would talk about that later, but let's just kind of jump into that. Because from what I understand, you, your primary focus there is that you were kind of overseeing and working with the Bauhaus collection. And so in a way, that's kind of the opposite of what you're doing now and that that was uh-huh. all working with an acquired collection. And yeah. as I was thinking about you and thinking about this conversation, I kept thinking about, I interviewed James Voorhees, uh, mm-hmm. the curator, a couple, sure. I, I don't know, maybe a year ago or so. And he said something that I think about all the time where he talks about curation as a mix of mediation, caretaking, and administration. And I've found... Mm-hmm those three pillars to be very helpful in my own thinking and kind of, you know, the work that I do, actually. And I was interested in how you thought about that. And now I'm even more interested in how you kind of think about of, I imagine at the when you're working with the Bauhaus collection, that was a lot of the caretaking part, thinking about the collection, working with the collection. Um, How do you think about those kind of, you know, those, those different approaches to the curator, the different roles of the curator, and how those are different between working with an established collection versus what you're doing now? Yeah, yeah, no, that's an interesting question. I think, I think my, my sense of, I mean, you know, to be honest, it was, it was a a short, short term (laughs) position there. I had a, it was one year fellowship, and then it got really rich. And, and, and I was sort of digging into it, and it became two years. And then at a certain point, I had to finish my dissertation, uh, and move on. But but I mean, part of my approach there was to make those collections, and we're talking about tens of thousands of objects, I mean, depending on how you count it and which archives you're counting, um, like the, the Lionel Feininger archive, the Walter Gropius archive, it's over 30,000 objects. My, my, the sort of brief I gave myself was to make those things as accessible as possible. Um, because I, I mean, there's sort of received understanding of the Bauhaus, even a hundred years on, and this was all in anticipation of the, the centennial um, 2019, but, uh, so I was, I was there, I was doing this from 2014 to 16, you know, I really, I really just wanted to surface material that was, um, worthy and interesting. Uh, you know, there's no, no possibility of sort of no interest in hoarding this stuff for myself. There's so much there. There's so, it could go in so many directions. It could launch so many dissertations or exhibitions or, or lines of inquiry and to kind of, um, to, to sort of, uh, nuance our received understanding of the Bauhaus and just make these things accessible through online tools, um, through rotations of the gallery collections, through public programs, um, and, uh, and other kinds of interpretive work. And then also through, you know, there'll be a publication soon enough that came out of the exhibition there. But yeah, I think, I think mediation is still, is still right. I mean, I, I, in my current job, I, I, you know, of all the shows I want to do at, you know, at some point in my life, there are only a handful that I think make sense where I am now. And that's a function of, of our, of our audience who I'm getting to know and our, um, you know, the, 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 you know, where we are and, uh, uh, kind of the spaces we inhabit and the times we live in. And, you know, so it's, and of course that's hard to, hard to gauge as, as things change so quickly, but it's, and we you know museums move so slowly, but, but I think um, I think mediation and interpretation um, are are huge, and that's why working with you know our you know public program uh, uh, you know head and our publications department and our education department is so essential. So I, I really I gained a huge appreciation for how many how many moving parts, how many how many really amazing people there are within a museum, um, and that you know doing a show in a vacuum is is um, is really you know, inconceivable. Um, so it, it, it requires a lot of people to sort of, um, to make the work accessible and, and sort of offer many ways in for people. I'm interested in, you know, what you learned from, you know, so you, you studied art history and I would like to talk about that more in a bit, but coming from a kind of art and design history background, working with mm-hmm. the Bauhaus collection at Harvard, you know, where you're looking at, artifacts, you're looking at objects, you're kind of thinking about them, you're, you're surfacing them in new and interesting ways, you're kind of talking about them in different ways. I watched a talk that you did 
kind of wanting to where you talked about like the history of how the Bauhaus has been perceived and then talking about, you know, the Bauhaus is maybe different than we sometimes think about it, which I thought was a great talk. Um, And I'm interested in the difference between something like that, where you are perhaps looking back, you are looking at a collection that uh, has been put together over many years by other people versus the role you have now where you are thinking about contemporary and modern art, not thinking about it necessarily as a collection, but where you have to be looking outward maybe yeah, uh, yeah. and kind of thinking, you know, what's what's going on? What are, what are the stories that I want to tell or what are the connections that I want to make? Is there a difference there? Is there an overlap there? Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I think it's you know, I'm still trying to build a program, right? So I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to judge anyone by a single show or a single publication in terms of the scope of their interests. And so I am thinking about, you know, uh, of a sort of multi-year view uh, of, of, you know, what, what contemporary projects of the Clark can mean. And um, so, so trying to be intentional about that and understanding that, you know, different heterogeneous parts can add, hopefully will add up to something larger and, and <laughs> one show at a time can only do so right. much and has its right. limits. Right. But yeah, I mean, I do think I, I do, I do think I've sort of, I've been moving from, from history into the present in a way that's, that's really been for me satisfying. Like I'm really happy to be in a contemporary space and, and organizing shows of, of people in their, you know, thirties and forties. And I'll do a historical show, I think in the next in the next couple of years of a, you know, a, a long dead artist, but, but I'm, I'm really happy to be in the present. And, um, and I think, you know, the, the, the one thing that was really, really, well, there are many lovely things about, about, you know, the Harvard Art Museum's job, but, but the Bauhaus in particular is a moment when, you know, famously, you know, this is the, the most banal thing to say about it, but, but art and design, you're able to deal with art design and architecture in ways that I found really satisfying. Um, and so, uh, and, and, and it's, it's one of these moments and there are others, of course, historically, but that those things aren't so siloed. And, um, while, while I think it's, it's, um, a bit, you know, it's sort of a glib period thing to say that like, oh, there's no, there's no distinction. It's just a smooth continuum between these different processes. It's like, well, no, you know, they each, they each have their settings and, 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 you know, political implications, economic implications, and so on. But, but certainly working around those different kinds of material was fun. And and my, my interests remain eclectic. Um, And and even in the current, you know, the stuff I'm working on here, it's really, um, really quite distinct kinds of projects. And it's really, uh, it's, it's great fun to, to focus on a topic for you know, a couple years, a few years, and really immerse yourself in the literature, and then do a new thing, and not feel the need to 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 uh, you know beat some topic to death, and sort of you know try to find the the vanishingly small new perspective on something that's that's fairly well understood. Um, and so, you know, I I do think that's another aspect of the curatorial is that I you know you, you still get to to you know show that work that that you love and is sort of you know, classic in some way, but but the you know not not everything needs to be cutting edge but um but i am still trying to show basically do a sort of a, a program that balances uh new and fresh work um emerging artists um you know first institutional exhibitions with kind of crowd pleasers as well that that people can engage with so that's that's kind of the balance i'm trying to to work out here um yeah can you can you, I mean, you started answering my next question because I wanted to ask you about what is your curatorial approach? What is the pro? Could you talk about the program that you're trying to build? I also, you know, in spending time with your writing and looking at the shows that you, you've done and that you're putting on, notice that uh, eclecticism, <laughs> notice that it's, you know, it's kind of um, uh, varied. But, you know, it also seems that you are interested in people who are eclectic like that and you, you, you like thinking about people who are polymaths in yeah. some way. And you're talking about these kind of blurry boundaries between art and design and architecture. Do you, have you put a framework around, you know, these are the things that I'm interested in. This is, this is the type of program that I want to put together. These are the types of people that I want to, to show and spotlight. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, that is an interesting question. That's the question I think. Uh, <laughs> right. um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, um, it always starts with the work and it always starts with mm-hmm. a kind of a, a, 
a, a basic intuitive response to the work. And then if it's intriguing, it's figuring out why it is so and what kind of discourses are around it. And, and I think I've gravitated toward topics and people that are, you know, that are quite hybrid generally. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And you yeah. know, people who are working between different disciplines um, and, and often at the margins, um, you know, socially or, or, you know, in terms of their, you know, both in terms of their recognition for doing the work that they do and, and, and also just the sort of political stakes of, of who they are in the time they're, um, they're working. And so I think, I think I found some kind of niche earlier by trying to apply some vocabulary to, you know, fo- folks who are working between, you know, art and design, um, whether whether it was someone like Muriel Cooper or someone like mm-hmm. Ruth Asawa or you know mm-hmm. the S- Swiss designer Jeanette Leverrière, um, who I wrote about for the Walker, and I just I, I found a sort of way in because I mean first I I loved the work and then I used to figure out why and be critical about it, but always sort of first just just um, letting myself be be really you know seduced by the work, but then finding that some of the some of the ways it was being talked about played fast and loose with um, you know, the discipline of design or mm. not to, not to fix that so much, but, but, you know, mm-hmm. that art people were talking about industrial design in ways that didn't seem quite right. Or that right. You yeah. know, architecture yeah. was just treated with this, with like very, very broader, vague language. And I thought, you know, that is sort of a place to, to dig in and to intervene. And, um, uh, because I'm interested in the work, but also because maybe there's something to contribute. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think in terms of the shows I'm doing here, I, I'm definitely going to try to to mix up the media, the geographies, um, the you mm-hmm. know, and to and to create a sort of mix. Um, but yeah, it's always it's always going to start it's always going to start with the work um, and figuring out why <laughs> why it's good. And uh, I'm interested in you know how <laughs> I'm embarrassed to ask this question: how you um, go from subject to subject are you kind of you know are you reading things about certain people that you're interested in and that leads to something else and the reason you know like are you are you thinking like do you see an object and you're like i need to know more about this object uh let me go further here and i'm asking you this question as my work is moving more into research and writing and criticism and i just feel like completely overwhelmed with all the stuff that i want to read and research and write about and i don't know how to organize it and i'm like am i reading this for fun and i don't know where this is going to go into yet i'm working on this other essay where i do need to read this stuff and how do i balance this how do you think about that no that's Right. That's a great question. And I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to do the work that I do because I don't know where it ends in my own, you know, I, I was just, I was just in New York and a, a friend asked me if I was, you know, the appointments I was having and the things I was seeing, whether it was work or just for fun. And I, I had a little, not really a crisis, but I was just like, I, I can't, I don't know, actually, I mean, I guess nominally it's for work in the interest of, you know, learning about new artists, but that's also what I'd want to be doing, even if I weren't clocking in. Right. Um, right. I think, I mean, I think for me, one of the challenges is, you know, once you, once you, once you get to know a topic a little bit and have spent some time there, um, you know, for example, the Bauhaus, people will start asking you to do more with it. And I, because I do want to kind of keep moving and, and, you know, certainly not do that for the rest of my life. Um, uh, uh, you know, I think I've found that there's sort of pivots from one topic to another. So, you know, um, if, if there's a, another, I mean, I found, I found my way to, to working on the current show, um, sort of through German contemporary art. Um, and then I landed somehow with this, you know, German contemporary artist who works, uh, on animals, uh, non-human animals. And then I dug into animal studies and maybe in five or 10 years, there's, there's another project that, that has to do with animality that I'll, I'll have a vocabulary for. So I don't want that to be, I'm not going to be pigeon, pigeonholed in that way, but I think there's always some balance between getting to know a thing and, um, and, and getting to know the literature, which is so rapidly changing that, you know, if you tune out, tune out for a year, you, you're missing. Um, there's a, you know, there's no way to keep up with everything, but, but to me, it's, yeah, it's about, it's about p- being able to pivot to new topics or, you know, I just did a show of, of um, the artist Pia Camille. I mean, a very tiny show, but, you know, does that mean, so, so, so from that, does it mean going to other Mexican t- contemporary artists? Because, you know, there's a little bit more understanding of that scene or to, um, 
fabric, you know, textile and, and fiber artists because that's the medium. And I think I think it can go either way. So so those kinds of little pivots and just trying to 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 cover some ground, but also being really aware of of the spaces that I you know definitely would not feel comfortable <laughs> doing a show about. And right. you know, and and at that point, and this is why I love curatorial work. Um, bringing in the right people for the job. So whether it's mm. in, in teaching or in, in projects, um, you know, having a, having a, a network of people who are brilliant at what they do and bringing them in. Um, right. And whether it's for a catalog essay, whether it's as a kind of, you know, trusted interlocutor or guest curator or a, you know, visiting speaker for a class and, you know, knowing enough to know that they're really good at what they do and they have something to say on the topic. And so, you know, that, that the, the the model of the sort of you know curator who has this kind of singular grasp on everything is is totally uninteresting and kind of unsustainable uh I want to I want to come back to that idea actually because I'm interested in talking about kind of the act of curating a little more but I think just for some context I would love to talk about um your own background and how you got into this because I think it is interesting how you're talking about you know, finding your way into some of these people is in this overlap between art and design. And you originally studied, I saw history and German and Germanic studies. Where did the art and design stuff come in? From the start, really. I mean, my, my mother, my mother is an artist and, and a curator. Um, and my, my father is, you know, really into design, especially industrial design. And so I, I really grew up with those kinds of things. And, and, you know, the, the, Paul Rand coffee table book that they'd acquired, you know, that was just sort of like something I happened upon very early. And, um, and so, you know, so I think, I think then in college, I think there was some hesitation about whether um, art was serious enough or whether it was saleable enough, you know, sort of professionally feasible. And, you know, I, I, there are several other things I thought about and I'm still interested in, but yeah, in college I thought, okay, well, I need to really dig in to the sort of, methodology of history and and get to know a place and so you know the focus became sort of german cultural and intellectual history and i mean of course i really had no idea what i was doing at the time so so <laughs> post post rationalizing this is, is right 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 um, of course <laughs> right like i i'm definitely not tracing a a, a a straight line of of development but i i can at least tell you what happened and that's and then you know so so the college thesis was about uh the the german werkbund which was this sort of in some ways precursor to the Bauhaus, but, but was doing, you know, working between art and design and architecture, um, and the kind of, the kind of, uh, uh, soft power politics of that. And then, um, then working for a couple of years in, uh, in design, um, really more on the research and business development side in San Francisco. I worked at a, um, at a couple design firms, um, meta design and ammunition, um, so really like fantastic, uh, fantastic studios, um, super smart and talented people, um, and living in San Francisco was a, a dream and, you know, it's, um, it was just an amazing time. And I kind of, you know, I basically came to this crossroads of thinking, okay, I either need to practice design and, you know, either need to go and mm. get an MARC and study architecture or do an MFA in graphic design or, um, uh, but ultimately really what I, what I wanted to do was was do exhibitions um, on the subject, you know, to write and make shows. I still thought I needed studio training, and and you know that certainly would not have hurt. Um, yeah. but, but I guess the way that I the 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 way that those places were so formative for me was having you know great boss mentor um, who was just interested in ideas and the world, um, you know, who studied arch architecture and sociology, and you know used to be a bike racer and was just a cool guy, but. Also, the design, the design library there of the creative director was so extraordinary. So I just, I just got to reading um, all around, kind of, especially graphic design history, but architecture and art. And then I decided that no, I wanted to apply for grad programs in art history. And I, I thought, you know, architecture was the thing, but um, and it and it was for for you know the first several years. And then I sort of came around to the you know, interdisciplinary material that I was working on about, you know, MIT in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, mm -hmm. where there's so many different discourses between, you know, computation and artificial intelligence and architecture um, uh, and, and, you know, public art. Um, so, 
so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the way it went. I basically left San Francisco to do a an internship at the at the Museum of Modern Art in the Architecture and Design Department, which is like you know total total dream. Um, and but yeah, I mean, I think the interests have really broadened since. Um, and in some ways, you know, being in an art role is is a kind of return to my to the formation and you know early on, yeah. I, it's interesting. It's interesting the the parallels uh, here actually that I I didn't totally realize, and I had seen that you worked at at Meta Design and Ammunition for a while, and I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, I did not realize that you had considered even for a brief time of going into the more practice side or the studio side yeah, yeah. Uh, permanently. And it sounds like we were very similar in that, you know, we were both, uh, you know, our younger selves working in design studios, interested in ideas. Uh, and, and you know, I'm not sure I could have articulated. I knew I wanted to write, but I didn't know if I wanted to give up design. Mm-hmm. And that was like the thing, you know, just, <laughs> you know, just, just, you know, to, to like connect my history into this mm-hmm. in a way, design was kind of what I always wanted to do also. And, um, was always very interested in design, um, but also was interested in writing, but didn't know how to bring that in. And I, I, I wonder often not out of, you know, uh, Self doubt or looking back, I should have done something differently. Um, but I, I'm always thinking about: uh, should I have done like an art history degree, or could I still do <laughs> no, an art history not. degree? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fine. Uh, <laughs> okay, good, 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 good. But I mean, I'm I'm interested. I'm interested in that degree, and and I do feel like for me, and I'm sorry to to make this conversation, you know, suddenly much more personal in my own interest. Um, What I, I I would love for you to talk about, you know, studying art history, working at MoMA, kind of tracing, continuing in this trajectory that you're on, the skills that you built up during that time about looking at objects, about looking at the kind of socio-political history around these objects. Like that to me is the thing that I feel like I'm missing in my work is the skills yeah. to be able to do that, to look at primary sources, to kind of go back and dig in the archives. Can you talk about, you know, that experience and kind of... <laughs> learning yeah. how to do that and how that's influencing the work that you're doing now? Sure. Well, maybe. I mean, I'll try. I, I think I definitely had some skepticism around kind of the the pretentiousness of art history and its tendency to kind of ossify what it was looking at. And, you know, I think I think it's about finding models that one really likes and and expanding what I mean, there's so much there's so much bad writing in the space. There's so much kind of, you know, obfuscation. And and I think um, yeah, and I think even to to step back, it's 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 um, it's it's an appreciation for my coworkers uh, as as creative people um, in past and and you know currently that that gives me so much respect that like you know design uh, is a very and and also seeing the own, my my own limits as a you know as a kid who grew up just incessantly you know making art um, mm-hmm. that you know just just how much skill is involved and how specific. Uh, you know, the kind of, I don't want to say training, but just the way of thinking is. So it, it really, you know, having some respect for, for and, and never wanting to sort of, even when I collaborate, you know, micromanage or step on the toes of, of, mm-hmm, of you mm-hmm. know, designers. I, yeah, but I think, I think the, the, the grad program, um, you know, starting a PhD was, and I always knew I wanted to work in museums. So I didn't, academia was not the, the plan, although I'm now sort of between the two, which has been satisfying and, and, and like a nice way of sort of fudging the the, the the distinction or the choice. But I think, you know, super daunting prospect of starting a, you know, seven, eight, nine year program. Um, and I really, I decided, I was like, look, if I'm going to spend that long in school, I really hope it can be in New York um, where yeah. I can, you know, <laughs> walk out or get on the subway and see art and see people and see culture and not be too ivory tower bound. Um, and, and so that was, that was wonderful. Um, but it, it is, you know, it's a protected time to focus on the, which is just an obscene luxury to focus on the things that, that you want to work on. And, and, um, you know, and of course, all of the pressure and weight of thinking like, oh my God, what's the big thing I want to, I mean, coursework was so fun at a certain point you max out and you start to think, okay, well, I, I am not going to take classes forever. I need to actually dig into something and then make projects for myself and, and, you know. But I think, you know, all of the pressure of thinking, okay, well, 
you know, what's, what's the big project going to be. And I think, um, I think just encountering different models and different ways of ways of working. And, and for me, that's also been, you know, the way designers do history, the way architects, you know, uh, write, write history and, and all of those kind of different practices and trying to find a voice within them, which I definitely don't think I've succeeded at, but I'm, you know, always trying. And, and so I think, um, you know, it was just, it was an amazing time and just seeing so much art um, and which of course now is <laughs> with, with the lockdown, of course I miss, but, but, um, yeah, I think, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, a, a really a time to kind of, uh, you know, rebuild the way one thinks, I guess, but, but, um, I, I'm glad that you brought up that you are also teaching because mm, I yeah. think that connects back to actually what we were talking about earlier about both your eclectic interests and these sort of kind of polymathic practices of the people that you're interested in and that you are kind of bouncing between the museum, between teaching, between writing. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious how those are different activities for you and how those are similar. How do they feed each yeah. other and then where do they start to diverge for you? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, I think um, I'm really happy with where I landed in the sense that the Clark is a very unusual place yeah, that, it's, yeah. that it's you know it has this sort of three-part uh model uh, uh that it's it's a museum certainly but it's also a grad program in art history for williams college um and it's a scholarship you know a residency for scholars um you know like the getty or like you know um uh, like Casva in, in Washington DC. So, so they're always, you know, they're always really interesting, you know, half dozen really interesting scholars here working on all manner of different subjects across, across time. And then, and then these, you know, fantastic grad students. And, and I think um, teaching is, is an amazing kind of not to instrumentalize it, but like, you know, it's a way of sort of doing research and development on a given topic and, and trying it out and, you know, giving yourself, deadlines of being like, well, I guess I need to do the reading I assigned. Uh, so, right. you know, I need right. to, I need to plow through this book in a way that I, you know, that's sort of an incentive that I don't know that I'd have otherwise given the sort of a, a busy work week. So, you know, I think, I think that too, I mean, I do miss from, from, from grad school, certainly in general exams, learning, you know, which are a couple years in when you're sort of hazed or quit, you know, and quizzed on, on, on the, the sort of the breadth of the, of the field that you've chosen. And feeling like, you know, that's a time when you're just, you're consuming so much um, information. It feels amazing. It's actually like physically exhausting. Uh, uh, but to, but to, to know that like up to that month or year, you have like a rough sense of what's, what's out there. You haven't read every book cover to cover. In fact, you learn how not to do that. You know, I used right. to be a total completionist and think like, okay, I've started this. I'm going to finish it. If it's yeah. not great, that's, that's on me. Like I need to be like you know, I need to empathize with this author and get into it. And now I'm like, you know what? There are ways of moving, you know, moving quickly through a book and sort of I'm still I still trying to learn how to do that. <laughs> it's really hard and it and it yeah. and yet, you know, just feeling like you can map out a conversation between books and some books that yeah. maybe should have just been articles and some articles that could have been yeah tweet, you know, tweets. But I I think I think uh, you know, <laughs> getting a sense of of that space is something that, you know, is is something that really can happen most easily in grad school. But anyway, you asked about, about how those, those different activities interrelate. I mean, I think um, the, the daily museum work is so, um, is such a mix of like, you know, uh, you know, working with preparators and registrars and working in the space and doing like installing shows and thinking about logistical questions and installation questions and, you know, and, whether it's or framing or conservation or, you know, there's so many different registers um, uh, that one works in, which was what I love that I'm not just sitting in a solitary kind of cell kind of just writing. Um, but, but, but I love doing that too. And that's, and that's sort of the, this being here kind of lets me, lets me do both of those. The teaching, I mean, the, the class I taught last fall was, was definitely, which was on the animal and animality in contemporary art was definitely uh, designed in tandem with with the, the exhibition I organized that's on now, at least through the end of this month. Um, and the class I'm teaching now was was meant to be, uh, you know, take advantage of the the visitors I was going to be having for a show that was supposed to be next summer, which mm -hmm. because of COVID cutbacks was canceled. But 
Um, mm. I think I think the two definitely can work in tandem, and then and then the writing process is the, the sort of place for distilling it. Um, I guess the teaching, it's not just the question of teaching, it's the question of teaching where and whom and, and in what setting, mm, that is right. to say, you know, I'm teaching art history grad students now. Um, when I was teaching just before I moved here and, and, you know, for six years prior to this job, I was teaching at the Yale School of Art. And it right. was a, a class in, in sort of history theory, history and theory of graphic design, um, using objects from the collection. And, you know, I think that kind of teaching, which was so hands-on and working with students who are so hands-on and so interested in materiality and production, and, you know, they're taking out loops and looking at the, you know, the, like, yeah, you know, looking yeah. really deeply into the, you know, like, you know, it's this letterpress. It's really like, it's very, you know, like, and, 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 and loving, you know, loving that. And, and, um, so I think it definitely depends what context one's in and what the students are interested in. But I, that was really one of the most kind of thrilling things that I, I did that sort of connected my, my, you know, whether I was in New York or whether I was in Cambridge, Mass, or, or even here, just working with those students, um, seeing their studio practices, um, Mm -hmm. and, and learning from them was, was really amazing. I, I want to, I want to talk about this, this kind of, um, the role of the object, I guess, in your Mm. work and, and, and maybe even in the curator's work generally when, when we think about curators and, and I'm asking you to only talk about your experience, but if maybe there's something that you can extrapolate here, because, you know, to, to be honest, over the course of me interviewing curators on this podcast, I realized how limited my understanding of the curator's job was and, and, um, the amount of, um, you know, kind of thinking about thinking about curation as a type of storytelling, as a form of criticism, as a mm-hmm. as a way to kind of use these objects to tell some sort of larger story. And and I realized, you know, even just like five, six, seven years ago, I knew that subconsciously, but I still kind of just thought curating was like putting some objects in a room, you know, just kind of like putting, I was thinking about it as a designer, not as a, a critic or, or historian. And I want to know how that process is different or similar than uh, your writing process, I guess. Mm, you know, like yeah. like to me, I know how to do that. Mm-hmm. I know how to do that act if I'm writing an essay. Yeah, I I'm less sure I understand how to do that act when I am then putting that into a three dimensional space. Right. I, I see similarities, but I also see them as two wildly different uh, activities. Can you talk about how those come together for you? Totally. Yeah, I think. I think, um, I mean, it reminds me of something Jean-Louis Cohen said, who, who is an architectural historian and at NYU, I you know, took classes with, and he's, you know, talked about the, inter, you know, the way, the way curating and, and, and writing, uh, uh, inform one another for him. And, and, um, uh, you know, he's someone who sort of fudged the, the title distinction and said, you know, I'm not an architectural historian or an art historian, I'm just a historian period. But he, he would say, you know, as a curator, like you can't make the argument without the object. Um, in an essay, you can kind of, finesse it um but if the object's not there um and not to i mean there's so much fetishization i keep we're even talking about the object you know ad ad nauseum of like you know it's like oh this incredible you know erratic object and what does it want and i mean let's let's i think we can you know that that's tempting uh but but you know not to focus too much on that but yeah i do think that that um you are kind of in its uh at its mercy as far as what you can argue. Um, and, and then it's a question of, you know, what loans can you get and, you know, where, where are they coming from? And I mean, I haven't done big loan shows like that, but it's, it's, um, then that's the question is like, you know, you're organizing a big show on a given artist. It's, you know, what is this one object that would let you make the case for it? And that was, what was so interesting at, um, you know, sitting in on, on, on loan meetings at a museum and seeing museums, write. I mean, two things really seeing museums, write. Um, a case for why they wanted an object, you know, so you Mm -hmm. need to make an argument about the show and why it's important now. And these are questions that I'm always trying to ask is like, well, that's, you know, this, this artist is great. That's fine. Why are you doing this now? What, why, why now? Um, Who really needs this in in 2020 amidst all else? I mean, what is the, is there any urgency to it? Are you acknowledging, you know, yes, you're doing something for hopefully for posterity. Should that, you know, should, should we have that? But like, what, what, there needs to be some argument behind the show. Um, mm-hmm. And there are shows that don't have arguments. And I think that 
that's that's clear too. But you know, and, and then they're making a case for this particular object and why they need it. And so I think it was really interesting. And then the second thing was just seeing, you know, whether those those requests were approved had also to do with you know reciprocity and you yeah. know have 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 you know have we loaned something to them and or you know do we meet so these sort of like quid pro quos. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think I think the other thing for me about as someone who who thought about going into practice and making um and in part because i thought it would be like wow i could make such could make such amazing exhibitions if i also designed them and then i thought you know what it'd be so much more fun if i actually got to work with the designers uh who you know who i wanted to and who are amazing and learn from them and you know i do one part and they do another and someone else does something else still i mean not so so the idea of like being the one person was very um it's very short-lived uh enticement but i guess i'd say you know the interest in working at making an argument in space uh, in three dimensions is still really important for me and seeing seeing shows that are it sounds trite but that are that are more than the sum of their parts where two right, objects right. you know they don't just look good next to one another they mutually inform one another they they um i mean that can be super powerful and mm-hmm. um and and i and that's sort of one of my favorite parts of the job it can be can be a formal link. It can be a conceptual one. Ideally, it's both. But you know, I think that's that is a distinction from 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 the essay um, when you can rely on other kinds kinds of connective tissue. But on the other hand, there are things that you want to talk about that in a show. If you're trying to write a label that's pithy, you know, I love I love writing a label that feels like it's sufficient. That it's you know <laughs> under 150 words. It's telling you there's a, there's a nugget of there's a, there's a sort of kernel of insight that like you know. Uh, like you're like oh that's super interesting i hadn't thought of that or you know there's something informative yeah. there, but there's also a proposition yeah. there there's like a claim being made um and there's enough background that you know you're communicating with someone who's not a, a specialist you're being accessible um but you know over and above that the essay can needs to be doing so much more to even you know set the set the stage for for you know how right. these objects exist in the world and 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 why you know how are we talking about them now and you know all of the footnotes and all of those things so i think I think there are different, um, you know, even w- even with with the question of media, like some topics, not all topics are great for exhibitions. And that's, you know, I had a student who said like, man, it's really, I haven't seen a lot of good graphic, this is a graphic design MFA deal. He was like, I haven't seen a lot of good design exhibitions. <laughs> and like, I think I had just curated one. So I was like, this is, um, this is tough to hear, but it's really true that, you know, uh, you know, objects, books under glass, like that's a tough one, you know, and, and, um, I think about that all the time. So I think, you know, some things want to be uh, movies and some things want to be, essay, you know, or, or, you know, documentaries or short, you know, video shorts and some things want to be exhibitions and others might want to be essays. And and that's all good, you know. So <laughs> I don't want to try to shoehorn anything in that, that doesn't doesn't really stand on its own as a show and have some, you know, some visual allure and some, you know, reason for being there, but also some like sort of underlying heft to it that that's worth worth engaging with. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And and one of the reasons that I am interested in these kind of like, you know, multidisciplinary polymathic people is because I am very curious about when they are making arguments, when they are working on something, how they think about that. Oh, this is a piece of design or this is an essay or this is a short film or something. It's exactly, Mm -hmm. I I think being able to make those decisions is really interesting. I want to go back to what you said about the graphic design exhibitions for a second and connect Mm -hmm. that to a couple other things that you said Mm -hmm. about this kind of the way we're talking about the object, which I, I did want to talk about the the kind of questions around that and relate this to design history and, and the design history classes that you teach um, mm. or have taught. And when I think about the design history classes that I took in my undergrad graphic design program, they were 100% about the object. We, it mm. was, you know, the, the kind of stereotypical what you think of as an art history class. It was a professor standing in front of a big lecture hall with a slide projector showing, you know, posters and and mm-hmm. logos and stuff saying like stuff looked like this and then this designer did this and totally. then over in, you know, Switzerland they were doing this mm-hmm. and there was no context for it. Mm-hmm. There was there was um it it started with the object and it ended with the object. Yeah. Um and I am I feel like because of that I have this really like weird relationship with the object or the artifact in that uh, 
you know, I love looking at that just like every other designer uh, likes doing that. But then I also sometimes have a tendency to almost lean too much away from it and being like, I don't care about typefaces and colors and things like let's let's talk about the ideas here. Let's talk about the context that this was made. And so I'm, I'm very interested in how to bring those two things together. And I think that's something that in, in the th- pieces around graphic design that you've written that I've read, I think you do a good job at that. And I think the other thing about graphic design, especially, is so much of design history is actually outside of what we call design history. There are people who are doing really interesting work around like the idea of the document as being a mm. piece of design. I just mm-hmm. interviewed... Um, uh, Alicia Chang, who just published a book on the history of ballot design, which mm. is like very much graphic design, but is not, you know, you don't see that in a design history textbook. Yeah. And so the idea that, th- that these objects are creating a canon, are creating a narrative, are creating a story, uh, but then that those narratives and stories are then creating people who we hold up as, you know, heroic figures in design history, right. Right. that then is also a part of some sort of larger just, you know, economic, social, political, cultural narrative that sometimes is getting lost because of all of that. How do you think about how those things come together? How do you think about, you know, you know, there's all these questions around the value of canons and whether, you know, how do you expand the canon or should there even be a canon? Where are you? I'm not asking you to make like a grand pronouncement, but just where are you in that thinking and kind of how you approach it? I think, uh, you know, I'm actually really so so guilty of being seduced by the formal qualities of work mm. and 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 frankly being uncritical about them and i look back it's like the really recent past of of especially with modernism of of just finding something incredibly beautiful and mm. thinking you know okay i'm going to i'm going to historicize this i'm going to give it some you know i'm going to talk about it but really not thinking enough about about context and politics and and so mm you know, my, my relationship to modernism in that way is something I sort of grew up imbibing uncritically and have been writing more about in ways, I mean, writing about Herbert Beyer or Max Burkhardt's or other really compromised figures. Um, I mean, that's, that's putting it euphemistically, like really problematic. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, so I'm now, I'm now have a feeling where I'm sort of like, okay, you know, please enjoy responsibly, like sort of, you know, <laughs> the, the, the question <laughs> is not whether to show this work or not, if, it's, if it has some merit, but how, how to show it and how to, how to write about it. And then I think, um, you know, in terms of in terms of uh, in terms of doing the kind of the formal bit and then the 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 other contextual bit, I do think that there's. I used to be very anxious about um, uh, focusing on biography too much, and especially when I was writing about women, which I've I've just sort of unintentionally ended up doing like pretty pretty consistently at least for several years. Um, I mean, the last two names notwithstanding, but. But you know this sort of like this sort of voyeuristic or even lurid fascination with with biography and and you know uh, of women and just trying to like make them you know I, I really always want to focus on the work and take the work seriously and I realized that 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 had some merit but that it also could sort of deaden it and then if I wanted to communicate it stories people love stories and if they're the right stories and they're well told which i'm not particularly great at i mean finding my my author's voice i'm, I'm i feel better about doing something analytical than doing something narrative but if it's a good story you're doing both and you're 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 finding the kind of you know set piece or the kind of um uh just little anecdote that sets things up and 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 it's it's the object it's the context it's everything collapsed into one and then as the essay sort of spools out I definitely think you can handle them each in turn. I mean, I, I don't think that every paragraph needs to do everything, um, and and that's the nature of, I mean, the sort of the 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 the, the essay as it unfolds. That it, you know, it, it has its contours and it develops, and it's you know, it's doing different things at different times. But but as for the the canon, I mean, I'm um, been very interested in sort of uh, you know. Up, uh, upsetting the canon and, and not terribly interested in, in, you know, maintaining it. It's got, there's the force of you know, the weight behind it is, is, is huge. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of, in terms of making work accessible to people, it's also a question of what the work you're selecting is. And I, you know, uh, I'm remembering you, you know, you had a session with, with Danielle Aubert, who was talking about, you know, 
she's in Detroit and she's, you know, giving a lecture to her kids about what was happening in Zurich in the forties. And it's like, you know, they could be forgiven for not caring or not, or not finding a way in when in fact there are amazing things happening in their, you know, parents and grandparents' backyards. And, you know, in terms of labor, you know, activism and civil rights and things like that, you know, in the 1960s and seventies and eighties. So I think it's also just a question of what, what one chooses. And I've, I've definitely been guilty of choosing, choosing first objects that I'm really seduced by and then doing the best job I can with them. Um, Mm. when I think actually, you know, all, all other things equal among like interesting objects, uh, it's then the question of sort of what you, what you choose. And I, I guess the canon now in, in these, you know, these, these months, many months of tumult is being, um, still so, so revised. I think design history is an interesting microcosm that like, there's so many resources now, uh, that broaden the scope of, of, of design history to include voices that have been, uh, not just, you know, uh, ignored, but suppressed, um, that for scholars, for institutions, for teachers, there's no plausible deniability about not knowing about them. I mean, that, that information is out there and anyone who's like half awake, um, you know, they should have potentially known these things some time ago. Uh, but you know, uh, there, the information is out there. So I think, I think, um, you know, but it's still, it's, I still find that the way, the way I'm able to get, uh, whether it's students or, or visitors to a gallery interested in, in the work is, you know, some combination of it, of it looking, <laughs> looking good and, and then having a story that people can get in, you know, find, you know, get, find their way into. And, and, the, you know, the show that's up this summer is an example of that, that it appealed, I think, or, or if it did appeal, it appealed on multiple levels. In my prep for this conversation, you sent me information about the class you're teaching right now called Graphic Content Typography and the Book Between Art and Design, mm-hmm. which in a lot of ways, what I understand from this class, it actually kind of embodies a lot of what this conversation <laughs> has been about. It's about this kind of slippery boundary between art and design. It's about this kind of intersection that you were able to kind of find your way into. It's about, you know, the kinds of... Um, you know, these kind of histories that we're talking about now. Can you talk about that class a little bit and the way you're thinking about that class and and how that starts to maybe expand how we think about design history? Sure. Um, I mean, I could just, I would just back up to say that the class that I was teaching at Yale was so object focused that it mm-hmm. was really intended to be a kind of orientation, like a meta orientation of just general resources for, for designers there then. like. Mm-hmm. You know, you're mm-hmm. living in this mm-hmm. place. You should know there are these amazing archives and materials um, that are here for you, and that you, as as practicing designers, are in in many ways, you know, better. I don't want to say better qualified, but like the the argument for you using these materials as people who think about print, who think about making objects, um, is so great. I mean, a design, you know, an art historian maybe could look at a you know high res JPEG, but actually you. You know, this material is here for you, and I think that was a new uh, message for some of them who had just arrived. Um, right. That there's such richness that the collection of anti-apartheid posters is extraordinary. The collection of Black Panther material is is really surprising and and implicates mm-hmm. you know all that was happening in New Haven in the seventies, and yeah. you know the the um, you know the the queer zine collection that that's at mm-hmm. Meineke. So all of these objects that have this sort of there's this cognitive dissonance of being in this really buttoned up. Uh, right. uh, kind of, uh, you know, um, in some ways sort of, yeah, extremely, you know, establishment, extremely white, extremely sort of the weight of history and capital, you know, and then seeing these really subversive materials um, and seeing some of them as connecting struggles and forming this, suggesting this kind of long durée of struggles that actually, you know, were still very much, they're still very much alive. Um, so the class now, to pivot to actually try to answer your question, is... Um, you know, because of COVID is actually all remote, which is unfortunate right. because it was, you know, we don't have quite the resources, you know, the, the, the collections that, that Yale does here, but, you know, I was hoping to show them artist books and hoping to show them, you know, all kinds of materials. Um, but the, the goal of the class, and this is a different kind of class than I've ever taught. So it's sort of an experiment and you're catching me, you know, in week, hmm. you just had week three. So how it goes, okay. you'll have to, we'll have to, we'll have to check in later, but like, you know, yeah, the experiment is basically, you know, can we do art history and design history in parallel? 
um, mm -hmm. and not argue that there's a, a perfect overlap, but look at the moments of of that they're intertwined, that they contaminate one another, and just just try to develop better vocabularies, more you know, become more critical readers of uh, creative practices. I'm not even going to say art or design, but creative practices mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. center on the book form and the letter form, um, and that you know, whoever is making them, whatever they call themselves, um, I, I think. I, I think that can, I hope, I hope that'll be, be an interesting process, but it's very open to them. So, you know, it's looking at historical avant-garde. Um, I mean, we just had our sort of Dada and Kurt Schwitter's section mm, and that's, mm, mm -hmm. that's like a natural overlap. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but the sort of, you know, but, but also I'm bringing in guests who are, you know, artists who do designerly things and have typographic practices and logocentric, you know, pra conceptual mm -hmm. practices and then art, you know, um, designer artists uh, who do, you know, more speculative design and, you know, we have sections on, on constructivism and, and, you know, anti-fascism and also in the present and, you know, pop and, mm -hmm. and it's, I'm mm -hmm. trying to bring in a mix of art historians, designers and artists and suggest that all of those different kinds of writings and research are, are of interest and are fair game and that we can learn, um, we can learn a lot from all of them. And, you know, so, so people I know you've had on the show, like, you know, my friend David Reinford, who's a great example of a, you know, designer who, who works in art, artist, you know, artistic con contexts institutionally, but also with artists, but also has a research and writing practice. Um, so that's all, all fair game. And, and I think, you know, there's a, there's a big collection of artist books here that we'll also be looking at. And in some cases, you know, the, the, the typeface used is probably, you know, quite immaterial to the artist. In other cases, you know, if you're an art historian and you're writing about it and you you don't know that, you know, they're using Arial rather than Helvetica or you, you yeah. know, didn't, don't recognize all of the valences around, I don't know, future. I mean, I, I'm naming, <laughs> but like those are things <laughs> yeah. that, that are, are good to know, I think for an art historian that are like totally basic for a, a graphic designer, but trying to find vocabulary um, to look at that material together and, the final assignment is for them to, well, there, there are two assignments and they're both sort of scaled down because of the, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> bizarre yeah. time we're living in. I'm trying not to, to add, add to their anxiety load, but there are two, two assignments. And one is to write an essay in the kind of model of the, the catalog for the, um, the MoMA exhibition that was supposed to be open now. It's a little delayed, but it's called Engineer, Agitator, constructor oh, yeah. the artist yeah. the artist reinvented yeah 1918 to 39 and it's a you know it's it's based on the Merrill Berman uh collection acquisition they made which is of just incredible historical avant-garde material um uh and it's a collection I worked with when I was at the Harvard Art Museums and the the catalog just has these concise object essays um I wrote one on Max Burkhart's but uh you know there's something like 1500 words without footnotes they're they're and they focus on objects, but they also are making this, there's some sort of argument to them. So there's, I want them to do one of those. And then also to make proposals for acquisitions for the library of artist books made within their lifetime. So the oh, idea okay. was that, you know, we're starting, we start with, you know, late 19th century and Mallarmé. And, mm -hmm. and in the class, I, you know, I brought in a, a colleague who just wrote a book on Mallarmé. And so it's, you know, largely about, you know, giving, uh, yeah, you know, giving giving some support to to you know peers in the field and and you know throwing them an honorarium and bringing them in, but also this is someone who he's an art historian, but he's writing about someone who, arguably for designers, was so implicated in um, the spatialization of the page of you know of yeah the, sort of liberating the the the, the you know uh, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. the page and actually you know if that's only taken as a formal move, uh, then you're kind of missing, which it usually is in sort of art and design history, but he goes into data scores and music and performance. Um, anyway, but it's just to say that the, the final assignment as we sort of move from, you know, the late 19th century to the present, and we're bringing in Taube Auerbach to talk about her oh, nice. work, um, is to have them propose that the library acquire, um, a couple artist books made during their lifetime. So trying to keep it, you know, reasonable and economical, but rather than, than me trying to like, you know, canonize the present of this incredibly, you know, this, this ever expanding field with so much, so many different practices in it, I really want them to find what's interesting to them. Um, and they'll, you know, try to historicize some recent material, they'll look in our collection and see what's similar. And they'll hopefully forge connections with the artists to bring those materials in. But hopefully that sort of 
And then maybe someday in future, maybe next year, we can have an in-person sort of open house where we can show all those materials. And, you know, Books Under Glass is a tough exhibition uh, because books yeah. want to be handled and held. So instead, I'm hoping that we can actually have, you know, the library will let us in a big airy space maybe next year, um, let people come in from the arts community around here um, and the wider public and just, and look at these books and and play, you know, spend time with them. And I, I hope that that will, you know, after the New York Art Book Fair was canceled, which is, you know, mm-hmm. the sort of my favorite time of year by far and, you know, would have been <laughs> yeah. a field trip for the class. And anyway, I, you know, um, I thought, well, okay, what can we do here that, that, uh, that, you know, create our own sort of event. Um, yeah. but, but they get to decide what's, what's of interest to them. I love that. I, I love everything about that. that is like the class that I wish I always was able to take. So, uh, I, I will, uh, admire it from afar and, and pretend that I can, can be a part of it. Um, speaking of books, this, this is my last question. This is a question I used to end all of these conversations. What are you reading right now? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I mean, my desk is littered with things for, uh, for this class, um, Daniel Ober, Daniel Ober's, um, Mm-hmm. Detroit Printing Co-op is one of them, um, nice. and books from um, the press, Other Forms, uh, is another. Mm. I really like what they yeah. do. Um, I mean, I, is it okay to answer sort of non-art or design stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you, I want to just know what, what you're reading right now, however, I whatever mean, form that takes. Uh, I guess in the last few months, the sort of most interesting things that have that have come across my, my desk would be um, uh, The End of Policing, which is not particularly new, oh, but, yeah. but is really um uh kind of pragmatic and crisp uh explanation mm-hmm. of of why um uh you know defund at minimum abolish at best is sort of the 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 answer um and also michael pollan's uh, how to change your mind was yeah. really oh i loved that was really beautiful and i just the way that he um i mean some of it's you know some of it's information that's available elsewhere and then the, you know, but the question is, you know, how does he present it? And, and the vulnerability that he, that he has, I think is really just as a, as a writing practice, he's such a beautiful writer is, yeah. um, was, 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 was really powerful to me. And I guess the other book I'd think of in that context that I read recently ish, um, I guess last year was, was eating animals by Jonathan Safran Foer, which oh, yeah. was also, you know, a journalistic roundup of information, some self-reported and some kind of aggregated on on industrial agriculture and the question of, of, of animal welfare or rights, but it, it was bookended with a kind of a personal, um, the kind of personal stakes, uh, that, that were the thing that actually most, most, uh, endured for me. And I, it's not a connection I make to the exhibition I did this summer, which is all about animal, uh, oh, right, animal rights, right. but, you know, p- part of his, part of his case, you know, part of what he's saying is, as a kind of, you know, Jewish American whose, you know, food ways are such an important part of, of, you know, personal, um, you know, his formation and, and, and the kind of mythology of, of the family is, is also just about making new traditions. And I think, right. um, uh, that are informed by the kind of hard, uncrossable ethical lines that we, that we, that we form. Um, and, you know, it never came into, as I say, it never came into my show explicitly, but that the exhibition was, was largely about, um, Lin May Said, who, who's interested in kind of creating mm-hmm. a new, a new iconography of interspecies, the way I put it is interspecies solidarity. And, and in that regard, trying to create new, new traditions, some of which are, are yeah. speculative, uh, some of which feel like, you know, uh, artifacts of the past or, or messages from the future, but they are, um, they're figurative, they're narrative, uh, but they are tr- really kind of, I, I think it's, it's timely in, in, in multiple ways, but, you know, certainly ecological, but also the questions she's asking about animality and otherness and dehumanization. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's reaching from ecology to, to, to human rights, in fact, mm-hmm, uh, to mm-hmm. also public health, because she, um, she produced a sculpture of a pangolin, um, at the end of 2019 before just before covid um mm. and that object sat in our galleries because no one could enter the building for you know a couple of months right. and then the show opened yeah. and the show is all about human animal entanglements and then there's this right this creature uh who is you know 
it's part of the reason we're all wearing masks, um, or rather, we're the reason. But but this this sort of you know building megacities on the edge of of you know wildlife areas or, or industrial agriculture in in the U.S. and zoonotic diseases coming out of that was something that um, anyway that that's kind of led me into a lot of a lot of other interesting books. Um, yeah, I mean that's a that's a that's a, a a great list. The end of policing is on my Kindle. I just haven't started it yet, and so I feel like now. Now that endorsement makes me want to finally, <laughs> finally start it. Rob, thank you so much for this conversation. This was so great. I'm a, I'm a fan of your work and enjoyed, enjoyed uh, talking to you. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. This episode was recorded on October 2nd, 2020. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.